Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today on CityCast Chicago, the Chicago Reader is really close to becoming a nonprofit. And that's a big deal for the 50-year-old newspaper, which has struggled with ownership and money problems. But now the paper's future is in jeopardy because of a dispute between the owners about the paper's publisher. We talk with the longtime Chicago journalist about what's next for the reader, but also why the Alt Weekly is critical to the city's news and cultural landscape. It's Tuesday, February 22nd. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Since 2018, two Chicago businessmen have owned the Chicago Reader, Lynn Goodman and Elsie Higginbottom. And in 2020, the Reader started transitioning to a nonprofit. That process is now stalled because Goodman and Higginbottom are at odds over whether the current publisher, Tracy Bame, should stay in the role. Chicago journalist Mark Jacob has been following the saga, and last fall he did a comprehensive history of the Reader for its 50th anniversary. All right, so Mark, break this down for me. What's at the center of the conflict that's delaying the readers' move to a nonprofit? Something that kind of out of nowhere happened, which is Lynn Goodman, one of the owners, was writing a regular column for the reader, and he wrote a column in November called Vaxing Our Kids, which you can still find on the website if you're looking for it. And it... um, I mean, the subhead was why I'm not rushing to get my six-year-old the COVID-19 vaccine. Right, right. They expressed a lot of skepticism and brought up things that, you know, people who are in favor of vaccinations really bristle at, like ivermectin. And, you know, so there were reasons to dispute some of the factual assertions in it. So the article, the column got published. Uh, Reader staff members and the reader's readership got very upset about it. The leadership of the, of the, Newspaper Tracy Bame and and others hired a someone to uh, do a fact check on it, and I think that alarmed uh, Goodman and his uh, supporters, and that's when everything started kind of unraveling as far as the uh, the pace of the uh, nonprofit. He was upset that the journalism, like the the staff of journalists that he funds, fact checked his piece of journalism. Well, he was, uh, I, I, yes, his allies on the board started compl- uh, worrying about what they called censorship. And by the way, Jacoby, you know, censorship and editing are two different things. Right. And if you're, and if you're trying to, like, fact check a written piece of work, that's not censorship, that's editing. Right. And, uh, and also, you know, if you're the editor of a publication and you don't want to print something, that's not censorship either. That's editing. And so... I think that word's been through the word censorship's been thrown around quite a lot. Anyway, so um, as things got more and more tense, there it became obvious that Goodman's allies on the board were trying to get rid of Tracy Bame. And uh, I wrote an op-ed piece in the Sun Times, kind of calling for a peace treaty, really, because mm-hmm. uh, because it's not good for 
anyone the way it's going. If they manage to force out Tracy Bame, they're going to force out the person who's most able to keep the reader going as a viable and robust entity in Chicago. You know, more recently, and we've talked about it a lot, the reader has had revenue troubles and a series of changing owners. Uh, you know, financial troubles have a lot to do with you know the classifies and losing money from from ads. You know, when did this really start? When did it turn from being a, a cash cow into to kind of struggling along? Their peak revenue was uh, pretty late. It was twenty oh two, but then it was just dropped off a you know dropped off a cliff after that. As you know, Craigslist came in, and and various other uh, kind of. You know, advertising online became a big deal. And the the reader was very slow to embrace the Internet. And you talked about the reader kind of switching from owner to owner to owner to owner throughout the 2000s. You know, how did that impact the paper as it, as it was moving from uh, from kind of ownership group to ownership group? I think it kind of lost its way. I think you'd even if you talk to. um uh, so people who were there at the time. I think they thought they were doing good work, but uh, it was their their role, their kind of position in the market had changed so much. So the real trick for the reader, and the trick that um, that I think Tracy Bame was trying to figure out, is kind of finding a new role for the reader. Because it can't be the same role that it was in you know 1975. That would be <laughs> that would be an utter mistake to try to do. I've had the great fortune to sit down with Tracy and, and learn from her and talk with her. Uh, and and it's, it's one of the conversations I'm, I'm most grateful for in, in my time in this podcast. So um, it, it was a shock to me to hear that individuals had been calling for, for her potential ousting. So Jacoby, so you know her. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not a big friend of hers or anything. I just know her. I met her four years ago, but even before I met her, I knew, knew her by reputation and I knew what she was doing with the Windy City Times. And, but since I've met her, I mean, it's just obvious that she's not, she's not an egotistical person. She's not in it for herself. She just wants to, she wants to do good journalism. And she also wants a voice for people who often are like a marginalized in Chicago journalism and have been in the past, at least. She wants, you know, people of color to, uh, to have a voice. She wants, uh, you know, uh, gays and lesbians, and and she wants. She's really for keeping the reader going as a way for people who often don't have enough of a voice in Chicago to have a voice. Mm-hmm. And so, and and so, I don't, I don't think, I don't think she needs this. This is not one of those things where she's doing it because of her ego or for any other reason. She's doing it because it's the right thing to do. Is the likelihood that this gets resolved and moved into nonprofit, you know, you know, pretty pretty good moving forward? I think the two options probably are that it moves to nonprofit with Tracy as you know in the leadership, or that it moved to nonprofit with Tracy gone. Mm. And I think either way it'll move to nonprofit. I don't think. I guess what I'm saying is that I don't believe that the reader is in danger of going out of business. I think the reader is more in danger of not being as good and as full of integrity as it can be, mm-hmm. as it is now. Current publisher Tracy Bame told us that her only focus right now is the reader's staff and she supports any plan of action that ensures the reader stays vital in Chicago. Bame says that talks between owners are continuing this week and she thinks as long as they're talking, something positive will come out of this. The Reader's Union, which includes the paper's writers and editors, issued a statement calling for an end to the stalemate and for the owners to follow through on the nonprofit transition. 
We also invited owners Lynn Goodman and Elsie Higginbottom to join us, but they didn't respond. We'll be right back. You've gone out of your way to give the reader the respect it has earned. You know, 50 years ago, the reader was a pioneer in alt-weeklies. What exactly, Mark, is an alt-weekly and what role do they play in a city's media landscape, especially one like Chicago? Well, you know, back when the the reader got started in in 1971 and there was weren't too many ways that you could find out what was going on in town. They made it a goal to list, you know, every nightclub and what who was playing at it. And so they would like, you know, call, you know, obscure jazz clubs and make sure they had their listings. And that allowed them to be really at the forefront of identifying emerging artists. And uh and they they also were really careful about making their ad rates low enough to where these uh, storefront theaters could uh, advertise there. The reader was free. It was started by, you know, by, you know, white college kids from the suburbs who were, went to college at Carleton College in Minnesota. So they weren't like, you know, it wasn't like this super diverse thing, as the reader is now, by the way. I mean, really is. But it wasn't then. And, uh, but they still were trying to cover stuff in, in on the west side and the, and the south side. I mean, they, the reader wrote the most, probably the most important series of stories about, police misconduct um, against black people in Chicago that's been written. That was uh, John Conroy's series uh, called House of Screams about John Birch, yeah. the police commander who was uh, you know, torturing suspects. And that was the reader. That was just a Chicago reader. So it wasn't just this, you know, they weren't just doing entertainment. They were, they were providing a place for people to write things that maybe in the big dailies they wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, if they managed to find a gap where the newspapers, the daily newspapers were kind of fat and lazy mm-hmm. and were not doing a good enough job. Just how important was it that it was the reader writing that story versus some of the other dailies, some of the organizations that you had been a part of? You know, there was always this saying in the Tribune newsroom, half joking, but half not joking, that it, uh, it's not a story till it's in the Tribune, and uh, and th- and that's ridiculous. You know that that's the kind of thing that makes you ignore police misconduct. That's really a you know one of the worst scandals. One of the worst things about Chicago, in my opinion, is how the police department has been allowed to commit to lie, to commit bad acts, and lie about them, and get away with those lies for decades, mm-hmm. and. That's why it's, you know, and when I was Metro editor at the Tribune, we tried to, you know, go hard on that story and we did did okay. Um, but the reader was ahead of us, decades ahead of us with the Burge stuff. And so I, you know, that was really important. Can you kind of take us back to those days before the Internet? Because now you could just like Google what the hell is going on tonight in the city. You know, what's there to watch? Where is there to go? You know, how crucial was the reader to being like young and tapped in? To, to what's happening on the scene in Chicago. Here's one anecdote I love about how how vital the reader was. Their um, apartment ads were so much in demand that like if you wanted to get a, the best apartment, you would just had to make sure and get the reader as soon as possible on Thursday when it came out so that you'd beat people to the apartments. And it was so much in demand that thieves used to sneak into the printing plant 
while it was being printed, and they would grab the classified sections and sneak out of the printing plant and go sell them on the street corner for a buck a piece. So it was a free newspaper that was so much in demand that people would pay a dollar for it. And, uh, and, and that just kind of shows the whole relevance of it. And some people who look at the whole history of kind of the alt-weekly in, the, in America say that the, that the most important thing that ever happened in the history of alt-weeklies was when the, trip, the Chicago Reader was started in 1971. Man, I mean, you could go there and not only find a, a dope apartment potentially or some great things to do for date night, but you might even be able to find a date with something like like <laughs> Reader right. Matches. Like, what was this like original dating site, pre-online dating uh, setup that right. they had? Right. Well, they had you know they had where you could put in your free you know ad and that and so this was when it was not that um, socially acceptable or at least in some circles it wasn't. The couple that I interviewed that had gotten married based on having their first date from the re- uh, reader uh, ad, they didn't tell their parent their parents about that. They didn't tell their families. They had an entire alternate story for how they met, and uh, it had nothing to do with an you know an ad in a newspaper because they did thought they would be looked down upon. The reader also had those kind of um, funny ads where if you like saw somebody on the on an L car and you always you wished you'd come you know you'd introduced yourself but you hadn't and they'd stepped off the next stop and you you've been thinking about it for the next three days you could put an ad in there saying hey a woman who I saw on the L car at uh, that you know, sounds at so the romantic stop. in the eighties my boy yeah. that shit sounds creepy as hell now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I saw well, you, you know, get the off funny... the green line the other day. Uh, <laughs> no, so it does Snapchat. sound a little stalkery, doesn't it? <laughs> Man, honestly, the entire time I've been talking to you, you know, a thought that's been on my mind is like, you don't work for the reader. You've written in support. You've written for the 50th anniversary. You know, you don't work for the tribe or the block club, but you speak about these outlets with such passion. You know, why are you so passionate about the survival of the Chicago reader? There's so much commercial disinformation out there there's so many there there are so many bad actors pretending to be journalists now who are who are telling people lies and uh hurting our country by doing it that i think people whose motive is to find the truth and tell it are extremely important and maybe have never been more important i guess that's why i guess that's why i you know i I become a big backer in the reader and uh I, it also has a name you know it it, it does matter brands matter and uh the re- people know the reader and they know that it, what it's the good it's done over the years and the vibrancy it's shown and for it to be able to get back there and really kind of make a new impact and 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 really kind of write a new chapter i think would be very exciting so so i, I just want to see it happen if you look at the long term and the major impact of the reader, it was in forcing their their mostly white, mostly affluent uh, audience to confront both the good and the bad of Chicago and to care about it. You need true believers. You need people who are doing it for the right reason. They've decided that they want to f- tell the truth about what's going on in our society and let the chips fall where they may. And we need more of that. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that you get from, you know, journalists of integrity like Tracy Bain. And that's that's why I'm a real advocate for the, the reader as it's currently set up and that it should be set, continue to be set up. 
Mark, thank you for making time for CityCast Chicago, a sort of new local upstart trying to trying to make our place here. Glad to talk to you. It was a fun discussion. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. In case you missed it, the city officially denied the permit for Southside Recycling to move a car and metal shredder to the southeast side. We talked with Block Club reporter for the area, Maxwell Evans, in our recap on Friday. For years, residents have protested the decision to move the scrapper from Lincoln Park to the industrial heavy east side neighborhood, citing pollution and other environmental concerns. A fire in Albany Park has left an apartment building, the Twisted Hippo Brewery, and Ultimate Ninja's gym devastated. One injury was reported as a 60-year-old man was rushed to the hospital in serious to critical condition. And some good news to get you through. The Frequency Festival, dedicated to contemporary and experimental music, kicks off today and runs through Sunday at Constellation in Roscoe Village. Remember, for more Chicago stories and news, subscribe to our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm slash newsletter. And if listening to the podcast and reading the newsletter isn't enough for you and you really want to reach out to us, feel free to text or call us at 773-780-0246. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, so check it. (laughs) All right.